Welcome to the 2017 Outpost Podcast. This week, we kick off the new year with a sermon on identity. Who is Jesus? Who does that make me? All that and more right now. <laughs> Scared you. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm very sneaky. Um, if you uh, have a smartphone, feel free to just open up your app. Back in the day, I'd say turn to this. I hear a bunch of rustling. Now I just hear, I see a bunch of faces lit up. Uh, from all your back screens. But uh, Matthew chapter 16 tonight, if you are new, I just want to say again, welcome to the outpost. Uh, We know there's a lot you could be doing with the Thursday night, and the fact that you're here with us tonight, we consider that a privilege and an honor. We know there's a lot of great ministries that are here uh, that you could be a part of, and and, and the fact that you're hanging out with us tonight, uh, if you're looking for community, uh, we trust that you'll be able to find community here if you would so desire. Uh, some of you guys I got to meet this week. You know, some of you guys maybe were throwing a flaming tennis ball around my house, um, going cliff jumping, a number of other different activities we did. Pool party? Anybody? Who's at the pool party? So uh, we actually broke a record this year. I'm pretty proud of. Uh, we did over the last week. We've done about four just kind of hangouts, events, activities, uh, just to get to know uh, each other. And we are four for four this last week with the cops showing up. So the only time we've actually beaten that record was, was every year we do this thing called men's advance. Um, because men don't retreat, they advance. So it's kind of our retreat, but uh, we like to joke about that. We had about 90 guys up in the mountains uh, at, this, at this retreat center, and the cops all of a sudden showed up uh, this last year. Of course, I'm, the, I'm kind of that, that's my role in the ministry. When cops show up, I talk to the police officer. So, so that's my role. I talk to this police officer like, hey, what's going on? And, and he said, well, we had 12 noise complaints, so we figured we better come see you guys. We're like, oh, were we being too loud? Yeah, he said, yeah, 12. I'm like, okay, my bad. Um, we'll try to be more quiet. But just prove the adage that we like to say, we have more fun on accident than most people do on purpose. And uh, we've had a great time getting to know you guys this week. Um, Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. For just a few minutes here that I have tonight to to talk with you guys, I want to just address kind of two concepts from this ancient writing, this ancient book, thousands of years ago, you know, 1,500 years in the making, what does this book have to do and what does it have to say to a bunch of college students at CSU 2,000 years after this writing? And we in the Outpost believe it has a lot to say. It's very relevant to us today, now in our lives. But I just want to look at two concepts, two ideas. One is, what does this passage tell us about who Jesus is, his identity? And the second one is this, is what is our identity if we choose to follow him? What does this say about who Jesus is? What does this say about who we are if we choose to follow him? You know, universities are really kind of a, 
a place where identity is often forged and created. You know, I had, I had uh, a sociology professor in college who said, the person you are when you come to college is forever going to change, but the person you are when you leave college is forever going to be the same. And there might be a little hyperbole, you know, a little exaggeration to that, but there's a lot of truth to that idea. Anybody who's gone to college and, and moved on years later will still highlight how impactful, how meaningful that those years were in your life. It's a time when you're away from your parents trying to figure out who are you and forging your destiny. Where are you going to go in life? What are going to be your ambitions and your goals and your striving in this life? A lot of that gets kind of worked out and flushed out in these college years. You know, a lot of students come around the outpost this time of year and you're just kind of wrestling with, you know, what it, who are you? What is the outpost? What are you about? And the simplest way that I could explain uh, that is just that we are Jesus people. We are people who believe in Jesus, love Jesus, and have devoted our lives to him. Now, that concept by itself is kind of strange. It's like, okay, well, what does that even mean? Jesus is arguably the most impactful figure in human history. So everyone does something with him, but everybody does different things with him. And, and there's all kinds of different conflicting ideas, thoughts, opinions about who is this Jesus of Nazareth. You know, different, uh, my philosophy professor in college said, you know, he was the first feminist of history. Some people say he was a social reformer. Some say he was, he was a great teacher, prophet, um, any number of things. And, and typically, we tend to try to take him and put him into kind of our way of thinking. We put him into our worldview. So he can fit into like the way that we want the world to work, the way we think the world should be. The problem is, is when we do that, we tend to make him into a caricature. Right? You ever have like an artist do like a caricature of your, of your face, right? They, they kind of accentuate certain things and kind of minimize other things. It kind of looks funny at the end. You kind of see yourself in it, but it's not really a good representation of who you are because it's, it's an exaggeration, minimizing certain things. And we do that. We have, you know, we have Santa Claus Jesus. We have, we have, you know, NRA Jesus. We have hippie Jesus. We have all kinds of Jesuses. And they're just, it, and most of the time, there's a certain aspect of truth to them, but they're an exaggeration of who he really was. And so we find in this passage, we find Jesus, and he's talking to his, you could say maybe his small group. This is a group of guys that just spent time with him just lived life with him day in, day out. There was about 12 of them. And, and all of a sudden, he asks them, who do people say I am, right? If you want to really know what people think about you, ask somebody, what do they say when I'm not around, right? And so he's, he's like, hey, what do people say about me? And they had all of these different opinions, all these different ideas. There was, you know, he's, he, you know, you're, you're John the Baptist back from the dead, or you're Elijah, or you're a prophet of old, or something. We don't really know. There's all these ideas, and there's a certain aspect of truth to all of them, but they were a caricature. They were trying to fit him into their, their world, into the way of thinking that they had. And so all of a sudden, Jesus responds. He says, well, okay, what about you? What do you think about me? And I love that Jesus is always asking us that question. What do you think about me? Who do you think that I am? And all of a sudden, Peter, this guy, this disciple, responds. He kind of stands out, and he steps up to the plate, and he says, I think you're the Christ, which contrary to popular belief is not Jesus' last name. That is, 
in ancient, in ancient Jewish writings, there was this figure that kept coming up in the words of God to his people, saying there is this figure coming that when he comes, the whole world is going to change. Everything is going to change because of him. And, and they began to wrestle with, who is this Christ that is to come? And all of a sudden, Jesus, and Peter stands right there and he says, it's you. You're the Christ. And then he says something that is, should I get another mic? I feel like I'm kind of in a in a tunnel here. Are we good? You guys all right? Okay, good. Good. Then it's just me. Um, but he says, you are the Christ. And then he says something that is so outlandish that actually John, in his writing about Jesus, would actually say Jesus was crucified for this statement because Jesus claimed this. But Peter said, not only are you the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Now, we kind of think about that, and we kind of like, well, what's so wrong with that? We all have sort of this mindset that we are all children of God. Uh, we are all made by him. But you have to understand, in ancient Israel, in Judaism, in the first century, the idea, you, you couldn't be a child of God. You're a, you're a dog compared to his, his humanity. He, you're an amoeba in the presence of his divinity. You're, you're nothing compared to who he is in his grandeur. How could you dare to claim to have that kind of identity, that you would be that close to God. You're not a son. And the, the religious leaders were so offended by that idea that they actually crucified Jesus for that claim. But here's Peter, and he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And that is, what do we do with that? That is such an outlandish, a, a radical idea. And really, I think C.S. Lewis kind of said it best. In simplest terms for tonight, he said, you can do one of three things with that. Either you can say he is Lord of your life, or he is a lunatic, or he's a liar. And we kind of start over at the Lord, and we're like, I don't know if I like that. I don't like that. I don't know if I like that, right? It's, it's, that means that there's, he has too much of authority in my life, too much of a voice in my life. I'm not sure if I want to give him that kind of authority. So we kind of move on. We kind of like, well, what about a lunatic? Well, that get, most people don't stay here for very long because if you start to actually study him, you have to realize the most impactful figure of human history and you're saying he was out of his mind. Not only that, you have to start to look at this man, this figure who was, you know, he challenged the power brokers of his day. He overthrew the, the whole social norms. He gave justice to the weak and the impoverished. He uplifted those who were downtrodden in his society. And he spoke words that were so piercing to the hearts that it spoke of our humanity in such a way that it revealed who we were as humans in a way we never even thought of before. And we're saying that man was a lunatic? Most people can't handle that. So they kind of move over. They say, well, maybe he was, maybe he's a liar. In fact, that's kind of hard for us to argue. So we, we kind of push it a little bit further. Like maybe, maybe Matthew here in this story is a little bit of a liar. Maybe, maybe he made Jesus into kind of a caricature. You know, he kind of you know, spiced things up a little bit, added a few miracles here or there, kind of you know, minimized the things that he didn't care to like, highlight to the followers of Jesus. Maybe, maybe his followers were, were kind of indulging the story. And my point tonight is not to try to do a big defense of, of Christianity uh, or of Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to go there. But, but you know, there's, a, there's literally like a thousand things I could say to that, but maybe one, just to leave you with just one thought, and we'll move on. But these guys, Matthew, Peter, these guys that were there, they not only would live their life claiming that Jesus was Lord. In fact, if you actually read Matthew's account, he's building up to this idea that Jesus is more than just another good teacher. 
He's more than that. There's more going on behind the scenes. He's building up this story. You guys ever see, uh, you ever see um, Spider-Man this summer? How many of you guys saw the new Spider-Man? You know, I actually kind of thought it was pretty good um, compared to some of the other ones that I've seen. I thought that one was, was pretty decent. But the story of Spider-Man, he's the hero of the story, right? He's the hero of the story, but nobody knows. His best friend doesn't know. His aunt, who's really like his mother figure, has no idea. There is, he is the hero of the story, but it's hidden. Nobody knows who he is and what he's actually up to and what he's really doing. In this story, we see this. This is what's going on. Jesus is the hero of the story to Matthew, but, but he's not yet revealed who he is. If you start reading more of Matthew's account, he's going to start to unveil, and everybody's going to be shocked, right? Just like, just like you know, Spider-Man's best friend. You're like, what? You're, you're, how cool? Can I use your, you know, can I use your toys and all that? But, um, you know, caring and sharing. But um, all of a sudden, these guys started realizing Jesus was more than just a man. And they believed it so much that they actually chose to go to their, to their grave claiming that account. You know, you could say a lot of people have died for their, for their faiths, different beliefs, different beliefs uh, all over the world, different religions. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But that's not true because, you know, I have a grandfather who's 92 right now. He is a World War II vet. And it's one thing for me to say, I believe I know what happened at the Battle of the Bulge during World War II. You know, I've studied it. I've read books. I've read texts. I've talked to, to professors. And I, I think I have an idea of, of what it was like. It's a whole other thing for him to say, this is what it was like because he was there. It's one thing for me to say, well, I've kind of studied it. I kind of have an idea, and I have a conviction of, you know, what it must have been like. But it's a whole other thing for him to say, I smelled the smoke. I felt the heat. I was wounded and have the purple heart to prove it. You know, I almost died. It's a whole other thing for him to say that. That's the same idea with these disciples. For them to say, I believe this. I believe it so profoundly that I was willing to die for it because I was there when he walked on water. I was there when he raised the dead. I was there when he came back to life and met with us and talked with us. And it was not just one or two, but hundreds of accounts of people, many of them dying martyrs' deaths before the end of their life, claiming this was true. So what do we do with that? Well, the idea of lordship, it's an interesting one. Because what it means is it has, has more implications to... To, to our lives than just how we see who Jesus was. It actually affects how we see who we are as a result of it. See, we, the Bible says we either conform Jesus into our own image or we let him conform us into his, but only one of those is rooted in reality, the fullness of who we were created to be and to realize who God designed us to be. The, the second idea, the second idea is what does an identity as a follower of Jesus look like? If, that, if this has um, all kinds of, of consequences to who we are, who he was, means what it affects who we are, what does that mean? And this story kind of goes on that. All of a sudden, Jesus says, Peter, awesome, you had this vi- revelation. This is not from you. This was so out of the box. I mean, this is so out of the box for Peter. He was not putting Jesus into his paradigm. This was totally shattering Peter's paradigm, like in a big way. And Jesus said, finally, you've got it. Now, Jesus immediately flips it around and says, now let me tell you who you are. 
Because in Christianity, you can't know who you are as a human being until you know who he is as God. Because who we are as humans is so intertwined, is such a consequence to who he is because he is the author of life. He's the source of destiny. He's the, he's the one who gives us purpose and meaning and value. And until we recognize him, we'll never understand the other. And all of a sudden, Peter has this vision and Jesus says, finally, I can tell you who you are. Which is, which is a beautiful idea because what that means is that in, in our faith, in following Jesus, we discover our identity. We discover it. It's something that is, that is there, and all of a sudden, God just speaks it into you, this identity of, a, of who you really are. You know, Peter would live the rest of his life oftentimes falling short of this identity. You know, he would deny Jesus. He would, he would screw up this thing or that thing. You know, you have to kind of give Peter a break. He was always stepping out, and that was huge. Uh, in, with the disciples, he was almost certainly the oldest, so it's kind of like, you know, if you're in your small group and your, your small group leader asks you some, some deep question, tell me your thoughts about the Trinity. You know, and everybody's kind of like, uh, uh, who's the oldest in here? You know, please, Peter, please, you know, save us. Tell, you know, say something smart so we don't look dumb, right? So that's kind of Peter's role. He's like, you know, okay. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, this is who you are. But Peter constantly is falling short of it. But the beautiful thing is Jesus never recants that identity. He says, this is who you are. He, Peter spent the rest of his life trying to live in light of that, but that was who he was. That, nothing changed because to use a Christianese term, it was based on a covenant identity. And what is covenant? Well, it's like a, it's like a promise, kind of like an oath, stronger than that, but that's kind of the idea. It's based on your covenant. It's not what you do. It's who you are. The world, it typically works from a contract relationship. Let me do these things. In fact, that is the thing that delineates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Every other religion says, do these things and you'll become this. Followers of Jesus say, I am because of who he is. And the reason why that's different is because what Jesus is inviting us into, that, that contract versus covenant identity, what Jesus is offering us is to be part of his family. The closest example to this that we have in real life is a parent to their child. I have two little boys, Jude, who's three, Preston, who is one. And, and no matter what they do in life, they are a banky. Now, hopefully, they will learn to grow up into that identity and live as, as they should, you know, live respectable, honorable lives um, in that identity. But that is who they are, one way or the other. Now, at some point, you know, my wife and I are actually looking at, we're wanting to actually adopt a couple of kids. And when they are adopted into our family, they also will take on our name. And they also will become bankies, right? And that's the idea that Jesus is depicting in the New Testament. He's saying, this is who you are. Uh, this is who you, I'm inviting you to be. If you would accept my invitation to be part of my family, I will invite you to be my child. And that's an incredible thought. Jesus would use these examples when talking about it, the kingdom of God, what he was offering people. He would say it's like a, it's like a pearl of great price, which back in the day was, it was like a diamond, but even more significant. It's a pearl of great price. It's like somebody would give up everything to have this, and there would be enjoy. They would be willing to just give up everything for the sake of getting this pearl. 
it was worth it to him. They did it in joy because the pearl was so much more valuable, so much more significant than what they gave up to have it. You know, that was that is the idea. We're actually going to be doing a series this semester on the parables of Jesus. And uh, on Thursday nights, should be fun. But, but that is the idea. This covenant relationship that we are being invited to be part of his family. And that was what was so radical. Um, that's also pretty radical because we're so used to defining ourselves by what we do. And, and when I say identity, I, I'm not talking like, you know, hey, I, I'm a, you know, an American and, you know, I'm all these different things. I'm not saying like, you know, that's anyway bad. What I'm saying by identity is where you find your value. How you define yourself to yourself. Why do you have significance? Why do you have value? That is, that is the question that Jesus is addressing. And he's telling Peter, you have value. Would you live in light of that? Would you accept that, my invitation to be part of my family? Now, some of you guys would say, hey, that's wonderful, Nate. That's cool. That's kind of a novel concept. Um, but if we were honest, and if you guys are tracking with me so far, some of you probably out here tonight, if you were honest with yourself, would probably say, it also is kind of offensive to me. This concept is, is actually one that it kind of offends me because, because what you're saying is, I can't be true to myself. I have to accept what God thinks about me, not, you know, I want to forge my own destiny. I want to be who I choose to be. I want my desires to dictate to me what I am and who I am. And the idea that I have to accept God's idea of me, I can't just create my own identity, is, is something, it's archaic, it's, it's old, it's, it's not modern, it's not real. And I want to just, I know some of you guys, you know, you're just checking out the outposts, and I love that. You're always welcome here. But I want to just kind of push you just for a minute, if I could. You know, in, in a s- place like Colorado State, a lot of people say, I'm a spiritual person. And, uh, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. That's, that's me. And I'm not trying to put you all in a box, but I, I'm just trying to say, as a general rule, when people say that, what they're really saying, most people, when they're saying that, what they're, what they're meaning is, I want, we, I want something more t- real than what I see. I want something more behind the curtain. I want a reality that is deeper and more profound and has more significance. I want, you know, something more than just that we're an accident in the cosmos, but I don't want that reality to impede upon who I am. I don't want it to compete with how I see myself. I don't want it to challenge my sense of value and how I want to define myself. And so we say, well, I'm a spiritual person. So we take out God out of the equation. But let me ask you this, this question. Why do you think you have the right to define your identity? Most people would probably say, if they really think about it for a few minutes, they'd probably say, well, probably because I know myself the most, and I love myself the best. And in a, in a circle of people like we have tonight, you're probably right. You know yourself the best. You know, you, you love yourself the most. You probably, you know, would be the best person qualified. If it wasn't that we are claiming that Jesus is someone so much other than anything that you could ever conceive or contrive in your mind. He knows you knows you the best. There's this little analogy that I love talking about our, our universe. 
If you compared the distance between the earth to the nearest star, which is, or the earth to the sun, let's say that first, which is about 92 million miles, you know, just a hop and a skip. If we said it was about the, the, you know, depth of a piece of paper, and we started stacking those pieces of paper, that's the distance from the earth to the sun, then the sun or the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of these papers 70 feet high. It's pretty high. The diameter or the distance of our galaxy would be 310 miles high. And our galaxy is only one speck amongst the sea of galaxies in our universe. And we're not even sure if our universe is the only one. And the writer of Hebrews would say about Jesus, he said the sun, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining everything by his powerful word. That at some subatomic, some um, quantum base level, Jesus is actually holding you together. Your very atomic being is being held together by God's will. And he knows you that well that he holds you together and you think you know yourself the best. He created the universe, spoke, and the universe exploded. You think you know yourself better than him, the author of life itself. You know, when we talk about I love myself the most, the idea of, of the gospel is that Jesus died for us. That, that he came to this earth choosing to pay our price, pay our punishment for our shortcomings, our wickedness, our rebellion, our sin, another Christian word, but he chose to, to take on all of that stuff because he's the only person who could. You know, somebody that's sitting on death row saying to someone else on death row, hey, I'll, I'll pay your punishment, can't, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. He can't do that. The only person who could is someone who wasn't, who wasn't guilty. And here is Jesus. That's why he had, it had to be God that he came and he died. And he died arguably the most horrific death humanity has ever contrived, the cross. And that is really just a living metaphor at some level of, of what was actually happening behind the curtain in the spiritual realm that, that Jesus was taking our place. He was taking on our ugliness and trading it for his righteousness so that we could have that relationship with God, so we could be the children of God. He became nothing so we could be everything. And you say, you love yourself more than that. Have you ever done anything so profound to love yourself that way, that he would die so that you could have life? That was how much he loved you. And not only that, you know, but he also, he didn't just give us life, he didn't just take our place, but he also gave us this identity that really was his. The whole trading places, he was literally taking our place, and we were taking his. That's so awkward when your phone goes off in the middle of a sermon. Um, hopefully you couldn't hear that. But, but he was giving us a value far greater than anything we could have ever contrived ourselves. He said, this God who created the universe said that, that your destiny is to be my son, to be my daughter. You are my friends, he would tell his followers. You are made in my image. You are my bride. You are chosen. You are a holy priesthood. And you think you can create more value in your life than that just because you could become, you know, an impactful CEO or a great social reformer. All those things are important and good. But do you think that those things would ever give you such value as the creator of life itself saying, I want a relationship with you? It's also the only place that we argue true freedom 
can be found. Now, some of you guys are like, wait a second. I don't like what you're saying, Nate, because it's restricting my freedom. You're saying this is the only place that true freedom can be found. And, and I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. The reason is, do you realize how burdensome it is trying to live out a contract value? Saying, I have value because. You know, let's say, let's say you, know, you guys are students and you're studying to get degrees because you want to have you know, a better career and that's an incredible thing. But if that is where you find your sense of value, I am valuable because I'm an engineer then you better get good grades because you have to get that internship because if you don't get the internship, you won't get into your master's program. If you don't get in the master's program, you won't get the career that you want. And if you don't get the career you want, you won't have any value. And even if you get that, every morning you have to wake up and justify that value. So you have to do a good job. You have to keep working. But what happens if everything shatters? What happens if things don't go your way and you're not as good as you thought or you don't get the job you thought or the economy crashes and things go bad? What happens to your sense of value? It crashes. It is a burden to every morning say, I don't do this out of the joy, out of the outflow of who I am. It's so that I can have value. That's a burden. That You're a slave to those ideas, to those concepts of identity, those identities that you create, that you forge in yourself. But sometimes the only thing that is worse than, than falling short in what you're striving for is to get everything you could dream of. You know, I... Uh, Watching Michael Phelps over the last, you know, recent past has been an incredible thing in, in the Olympics, watching him just do what he does so well. But do you know that after he, you know, arguably, well, certainly one of the best athletes of our generation, maybe one of the greatest athletes of human history, at least in the Olympics for sure. And here is this guy. He won all these medals. He broke all these records. And at the end of that Olympics, he went home and he hit depression. In fact, he almost committed suicide, considered it, contemplated it. This guy achieved everything that, you know, I mean, talk about value in a society. And he was depressed. Why was he depressed? Because he realized he had got everything he wanted and he realized it wasn't enough. And he actually articulates, it wasn't until someone gave him a book about Jesus and who he was in Jesus's eyes that everything started to change. That was one of the defining moments that changed it for him. There's this old movie um, I don't know if we're going to be able to play it. Uh, Zach might try. But um, there's this movie. Anybody ever watched Chariots of Fire? I mean, I think that's an old movie, and you guys think I'm old, so I know it's a super old movie. You ever see Chariots of Fire? It's, it's a really interesting movie. It's about these Olympians during um, early 1900s. It's a true story. Uh, it's, it's a worthwhile uh, movie to watch. But it's, it highlights two guys. And one of them is this guy named Eric Little. And Eric Little is this follower of Jesus. And... He is, he's fast, and he goes to the Olympics as a sprinter. And while there, he suddenly realizes he was slated to run the 200-meter dash. He goes there and suddenly realizes the 200-meter dash is on Sunday. Now, whatever you think about, you know, what you should or shouldn't do on Sunday, for him, living a life that glorified Jesus meant protecting that time, to, to not do anything to compete with those, that conviction, to make that the day that he spent with the Lord and the Lord's people. And here he is, an Olympian. If you thought there was ever a time to make an exception, he, you know, and he goes there and he refuses. What kind, of, what kind of identity does this guy have? He has an identity that isn't based at all in his Olympic prowess. 
In, sa- in fact, he refuses. They finally, there's this big hubbub. They finally decide, well, we'll, we'll let you run the 400-meter dash to kind of do this thing. He wasn't slated. He wasn't trained for that. He runs it. He beats the world record. Uh, it's kind of this crazy thing. But, but um, we'll see if we show this flick. But in this flick, he's interacting. He's kind of twiddling his thumbs, actually, in this flick. But, um, but he said when he ran, he would feel the Lord's pleasure. That was kind of a cool thought. He was just, he was running out of the joy of it. It wasn't out of the burden of it. It was out of the joy of it. Now on the, op- on the opposite side is this other guy. His name's Harold Abrams. And Harold is a Jew in, in Europe during the early 1900s. A lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of uh, abuse there. And he found he was fast. So he would all of a sudden, he all of a sudden decided he was going to try to go to the Olympics too. And he strove and he tried and he struggled and guess what the olympics didn't go the way he thought that they were and he has this little interaction with eric little as he's preparing for his last race struggling with his sense of value and identity as his world is not going the way he thought it would see if it'll play i don't think it's going to okay that's all right basically they have this conversation Yeah? No? Okay, it's all right. So, now it just looks awkward, so we're just going to move on. Now it's just awkward. <laughs> we're just going to move on. That's his trainer. He's just preparing him for the race. Okay. Contact, things you don't think about. Okay, he says, he says, come on, guys, get your minds out of the, Okay, um, Harold says this to Eric Little. He says, in a, I'll raise my eyes in little under an hour, and I'm going to look down that corridor. He was about to run the 100-meter dash. And he said, it's going to be four feet wide, and ten lonely seconds will I have to justify my whole existence. But the thing that is tearing me up inside is the question, will I? (laughs) It's all right. We're moving on. All right. The point is, one restricts, the other frees. Eric Little had this freedom to, yeah, I could run if it, if it works. If it doesn't work, I'm okay. Because to run is just to experience joy in the Lord. Here is Harold Abrams, and he was a slave to his success because if he didn't succeed, he would not have value. And it was going to crush him in who he was. There's a difference there. One, Jesus' identity, his covenant identity, gives us freedom to be who we were always meant to be, to live as humans were always meant to live, to have this destiny and this value and this identity far grander than anything we could ever have dreamed. But if we try to forge it ourselves, we will be slaves to that destiny, always struggling, always striving, and always falling short to any true sense of ultimate value. So how do we receive it? Well, two things. One, accept Jesus, really one thing. Accept Jesus' invitation to be part of his family. You know, he's offering you to be his child, to adopt you into his family. But it's your choice. You get the right to choose what you do. And so he's saying, would you consider joining my family? I want that because I love you. I know you so well. I know the good and I know the bad. And I love you despite everything you think about who you are. I love you for who you are, for how I made you to be. And if you would walk with me, I will walk you into an identity far grander than you could have dreamed. But to do that is to also walk into the larger family, not just with, you know, God as our father, but also with 
everyone else side by side that are walking into that relationship. God is a relational God inviting us into relationship with him and with each other. And so if you're interested, or maybe you're just not sure if I'm full of it, and everything that I'm saying is just a whole bunch of hoax, you know, that's all right. You're welcome here. I encourage you, get involved, get plugged in. We have a lot of fun, and we love Jesus. And if you're just trying to figure out what this is all about, either Jesus is, is not who he claimed to be, in which case, move on with your life, and you'll know. But if he is who he claimed to be, then the question, that question is the most important question that you can answer while in college. That question defines every other question. It impacts every other decision. It shapes every other thought that you will have. So the answer to that one is the base by which the rest of those things will begin to fall into line. Who is he? And then, what does it mean to follow him? In closing, and I'll have the worship team come up. We're going to do a little worship tonight. And uh, some of you guys might still be thinking, you know, Nate, that's a, that's a beautiful idea that he loves me that much, he knows me that well, and that he is inviting me into that kind of relationship with him. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's still a one-way street. And I don't like the idea that God is up there dictating to me who I am and and he doesn't have to deal, he doesn't have to play by that game. Nobody's telling him who he is. But a closing thought tonight, if you read the gospel, the gospel story is a story of us defining his destiny, of, of the unchangeable God changing for us, of him joining our story so that we could have a destiny that was wholly different. But it came through him sacrificing, him coming into our story and letting us dictate his future, his death on the cross by our choice. That the unchangeable God changed for us is such a beautiful idea that God loves us so much that he would let us change his identity. That the most beautiful, the most valuable, the most intrinsically significant being of all creation chose to become nothing so that we could become everything. He traded our place. It was the worst deal in history. And yet he took it and he, and he did it, as the Bible actually says, with joy. Joy, why? Because he was inviting us through it to become his children and to become part of his family. And it was for that reason that he died on our stead. So we just want to invite you guys this semester if you're looking for community or just curious about Jesus, we would love to get you plugged in. Feel free to talk to one of those small group leaders. We say this, we are not a community with small groups. We are a community of small groups. We believe living out life is the way that Jesus showed us to live out our faith. And we invite you tonight to, to join with us, if you would like to, into this journey. Pursuing after a God who's pursued hard after us. Would you stand tonight? And let me pray. Lord, we love you. And even if we don't, God, we just, we want to know about you. We want to know who you are. God, would you make yourself real to us tonight, even now? Jesus, would you, as you told your disciples as you departed this earth, I am going to be with you even to the end of the age. Would you 
be with us. We know you're here. We know that is true. But God, may you, as we walk into this fall semester, be the reality behind our reality. Be the truth behind our truth. May you be the hero of our story. And Lord, if we do not realize who you really are, if we're hidden, if you are hidden from, from us, if we don't recognize you as the hero tonight, Lord, may you begin to just open our eyes. God, you love us so much. You have done so much for us. Lead us this semester, we pray, that you may be glorified in our lives. Because Lord, at the end of the day, I don't think you're a lunatic. I know you're no liar. And so I bend my knee and I say, God, may you define who I am because I know you are the source of life and in you I find my worth. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this week for the Outpost Podcast. Remember, new episodes release every Saturday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. See you next week.